The Big Ten now stands at 18 teams. The Pac-12 is on life support, and the SEC, it's just sitting back and watching the show. Welcome into SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer, along with John Adams. Much to discuss on today's episode, including the USA Today Coaches Poll is out. Six SEC teams ranked in the preseason top 25 of the coaches poll. But first, John, the, the biggest news of the offseason is uh, the Pac-12. Pour one out. This is quite possibly the last season of Pac-12 football, certainly the last season of Pac-12 football as we've come to know it. Last week, the Big Ten delivering a knockout punch by deciding finally that it wants Oregon and Washington at a discounted rate. That left the Big 12 to scoop up Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. And there's just four teams left in the Pac-12. Hard to have a conference with four teams. So your thoughts on this, John, what it means for the Big 10, and then uh, we'll, we'll get into whether the, uh, whether the SEC needs to counter here or whether they should be concerned by this at all. This gives new meaning to the final four. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've watched a lot of Pac-12 uh, football through the years. And I, late night games, you know, usually done with my work, I can watch Pac-12 games. Seen a lot of great games. I remember the first row, one of the first Rose Bowls I saw was Wisconsin and, and maybe Southern Cal from the Pac-10. Wisconsin was down like, something like 42 to seven and came back and almost won the game. And that was back in the prehistoric times when you didn't score 40 points that easily. It was just an amazing game, but got a lot of good memories of PAC 12 football. Uh, It's kind of sad when you look at it, but it was really inevitable the way all this is going. Uh, It should surprise no one. We aren't done yet. Uh, and as I followed college football through the years, this is many years ago. I just thought when the NCAA, as big as it was, it did it wasn't designed for college football. When you had all these obscure schools, schools that didn't even have football programs, were voting on issues that impacted schools like Ohio State, Southern Cal, Alabama, Tennessee. It, it just didn't work, and I I, I think. Yeah, the Pac-12 is on life support. And I don't think the, the NCAA is flourishing either because once you get super conferences, do they really want the NCAA telling them what to do? Of course not. And, and that's what we have here, John. We have two super conferences at this point. I think that's undeniable with the Big Ten. We'll be growing to 18 members once USC, UCLA, and now Oregon and Washington come aboard. The SEC, it's been a super conference. It's going to become more so a number after Texas and Oklahoma join next year. And then on that third perch, we'll have the Big 12, which will be at 16 teams starting next season after the addition of the Pac-12's four-corner schools. And that leaves the Pac-12 with just Cal and Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State sitting around uh, wondering what the future holds for them. But when it comes to the Big Ten, John, and and they're head-to-head with the SEC because they are the two super conferences, 
they have countered now in a two-step process. They've countered the SEC's additions of Texas and Oklahoma with the two LA schools plus Oregon and Washington. So how comfortable are you in saying that, that the SEC still enjoys the number one spot in the conference pecking order? And two, do you think the SEC should be concerned at all by the Big Ten scooping up the four best programs in the Pac-12 when you, you add in USC, Oregon, Washington? I guess UCLA, maybe you could argue whether that's the fourth. But in terms of brand, those are the to- top four brands. And I think in terms of quality of programs, maybe you'd throw Utah into that mix. But certainly, I think three out of the four best programs in the Pac-12 are headed to the Big Ten. Should this concern the SEC? Um, and, and is SEC still number one in the pecking order? Well, I'm prejudiced. Um, SEC guy. I grew up in the South, spent most of my life here. I just think it's still the the best conference. You add Oklahoma and Texas. I mean, right now, if somebody said, okay, what are the top programs in the country? You'd probably say Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State are the top three. I think LSU is closing in on that. And even with the addition of Texas and Oklahoma, I don't think that will change the SEC hierarchy. A hierarchy. Now, could this mean more in in TV dollars and market value? I don't know about that. I'm sure it will, but the SEC is doing fine money-wise. I still think Joe, college football fan, anywhere in America, if he has no geographic interest in, in what's going on in his area in college football, and he has a choice of what games to watch, I still think he'd take the SEC over a Big Ten game. I, I still do. I don't think the SEC should feel pressured. Oh, my God, we've got to go out and uh, add Oregon State and Washington State. I think uh, the SEC philosophy is working. Uh, I think the Big Ten is going to be – this travel from coast to coast is going to cause problems and things we can't can't quite comprehend the serious nature of it until it actually begins to happen. And then we'll then we'll get the full impact. Yeah, I think this is one of those scenarios where it's the old two things can be true situation. Like on the one hand, I think the Big Ten got better. It improved the quality of its league by adding these four schools from the Pac-12, USC, UCLA, and now Oregon, Washington. And yet, I think the other thing is still true. And what you're saying is that the SEC is still the number one conference. When you look at it, John, part of the reason the Pac-12 is dying is because the Pac-12 has not been a real factor in college football for about 15, almost 20 years. You have to go back to Southern Cal's last national championship with its 2004 team to find the last Pac-12 team to win a national title. But even in the playoff era, the nine-year playoff era, the Pac-12 has produced just two playoff qualifiers in nine seasons. The SEC can put two in the playoff in one year. We've seen it do that multiple times. And in nine years, the Pac-12 has put just two teams in the playoffs. Oregon got there in 2014. Washington's been there once as well. And that's it. Pac-12 has not had a qualifier since since Washington in 2016. And so these are nice additions 
for the Big Ten, sure, but it's not like these schools were dominating the sport. 16 out of the last 16 out of the last 17 national champions in college football have come from the southeast quadrant of the country. Now that's not all SEC. Clemson's got a couple. Florida State has one, but Ohio State is the only team that has won a national title outside of the southeast quadrant of the country in the last 17 seasons. So, yeah, I, I think the knee-jerk thing would be to see, say, well, all of a sudden the Big Ten has passed the SEC with these additions. No, I don't think that's true. They got better. I think it would be a lot more concerning to me if I'm the SEC and the ACC starts to fracture. We're continuing to hear rumblings out of the ACC most loudly from Florida State, and they're pretty much telling anybody who will listen that they don't really want to be in that conference anymore, but they can't go anywhere yet because of the grant of rights. They, by all appearances, are looking for some sort of escape hatch to get out of that grant of rights. Um, but yeah, I, I think if I'm the SEC, I would be a lot more concerned if the Big Ten scooping up Florida State, Clemson, Miami, and North Carolina than these four schools from the West Coast, which, by the way, the SEC didn't want anyway. They probably could have been in the mix form if they wanted them. They didn't want them. They, um, the SEC, more so than the Big Ten, has kept geography and identity in mind, which makes me think they would have some interest in a few ACC schools if that conference fractures. I don't think they wanted any of these Pac-12 teams. They probably would prefer that the Pac-12 marched on and that these four programs weren't headed for the Big Ten. But I still think you're in good shape if you're the SEC right now. Go back, and here we had Southern Cal – it's just rolling under Pete Carroll, and it went back-to-back national championships. It's going for a third and loses in the final seconds of Texas. It's almost like that was the Pac-12's last hurrah. I realize Oregon and Washington made the playoff, but did anybody really think those teams were going to win the national championship? I, I didn't, but uh, it, it's so... There's just no – every year we go into – it's almost right now it's between – every year it seems like it's Alabama, Georgia, or that one SEC outsider, Ohio State. And I know Oklahoma has been down the last couple of years, but I would take Oklahoma over any program in the Pac-12, Southern Cal included, I think with the right coach as it had with Lincoln Riley, and as it, had, as it has had many times through the years, Oklahoma is a is a powerhouse. It's sad that the Pac, what happened with the Pac-12, but you could kind of see this coming. It's, uh, you know, it, it's like, did anybody sound an alarm? Did anybody say, uh, hey, uh, we're falling behind. Uh, we're about to get lapped here. We're really falling behind. I didn't get that much of a sense of concern about what was going on with the Pac-12, and and maybe I just missed it. No, I don't think you did, John. And I think that's why the Pac-12 were were reading the obituaries for it today, and we're reading the about the resurgence of the Big 12. I mean, this could have been the Big 12 a couple years ago when it was fighting for survival after losing Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, I think there was a much greater sense of urgency among Big 12 presidents and chancellors. The the Pac-12 has just always had this image, and I think the image is based on reality, that its chancellors and presidents are up there, you know, in their ivory towers, 
you know, they kind of fit the mold of the coastal elite, right? And I think to your point, it was like, oh, yeah, we haven't been so good in athletics here lately, particularly college football. You know, we've fallen from our lofty perch. Uh, you know, even in some other sports, basketball, we're not what we once were in college softball, but there was no sense of urgency. You didn't feel it anyway, coming out of Pac-12 out of Pac land. And you did feel that coming from the Big 12. And they put their urgency into action. They cut the Pac-12 in line for a new media rights deal. And the Pac-12 was kind of left out in the cold searching for a suitor that didn't exist in terms of linear television. And... I think the story here is the Big 12 acted with a greater sense of urgency. The Pac-12 got duped foolishly into thinking that alliance, that handshake agreement they had with the Big Ten and the ACC a couple of years meant, meant something. It didn't mean anything. So while they were out there glad handing with the Big Ten, the, Pac, the, the, the Big 12 was fighting for survival, and it did so nicely. And the Big Ten was plotting a raid of, of Pac-12 teams. Uh, to me, that's the moral of the story here. Is, is one conference that was on the ropes showed urgency. The other conference, the Pac-12, did not. And that's why we see these, these, two pro, these two conferences going in divergent directions right now. Blake, isn't that ironic, though? Uh, the Pac-12 was more of an established league than the Big 12. I mean, the Big 12 is, is sort of an uh, amalgam of the the old Southwest conference and, and what was once the big eight. And now they've thrown in some teams from all over, but, and there was a PAC 12 more established. It's almost like the PAC 12 was, I, I think you get a, maybe a sense of superiority because you get to go to a, the Rose Bowl every year. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you hit it when you said elitist, there's, it was almost as though I think some people in the Pac-12 thought playing in the Rose Bowl was a bigger deal than playing in a college football playoff. Well, we're going to the Rose Bowl. And uh, we're talking about two super conferences, but I really think there could be three. The way the Big 12 has been so aggressive about this I could see three 20 team conferences and which, which begs a question, Blake, uh, is the ACC in trouble here? Well, I, I, they're not sitting pretty. I I don't know if they're quite in in trouble yet, but everything's not going just dandy in ACC land. There was a report last week from Sportico that Florida state is trying to find ways to raise private equity I mean, how long before we get the Saudi Seminoles marching out on, on the football field on a, on a far, fall Saturday? But, um, you, you know, and very publicly, at Florida State had a board meeting about a week ago in which its school president indicated that the Seminoles are one foot in, one foot out of the ACC. And then one of the trustees, Drew Weatherford, a former Seminoles quarterback, took it a step further than one foot in, one foot out. He said it's not a matter of if Florida State leaves, it's a matter of when. Now, that's big talk. You still have to figure out how to do that. The exit fee for leaving the ACC would be over $100 million, uh, and you've signed away your grant of rights into the 2030s. So to get those back would probably uh, include a court battle. The Florida State has to notif- notify the ACC by August 15th, 
if it's going to depart in the next year. So there, there are some hurdles here toward the ACC or toward Florida State getting out, or I think they'd be gone already. Um, the question becomes, too, if, if Florida State gets out, if they are able to, whether it be through legal action, private equity, combination of both, get out of get out of the ACC, where do they go? Now, there was a couple of reports last week, John, citing anonymous sourcing that the SEC would not have that much interest in Florida State. I do not buy that. Uh, I think that is bogus. Now, if you're the SEC, you might prefer, prefer the status quo. You might prefer that the ACC limps on, you know, in some you know, number four tier status in the conference pecking order and is not really a threat to you much and, and, and go ahead and survive into the 2030s and we'll reevaluate then. I think that would be fine with the SEC for the, for the ACC to limp on with this inferior media rights deal. However, if schools like Florida State or a Clemson find an escape hatch and they're on the market, I don't believe for a second that the SEC is going to sit on its hands and say, come on in, Big Ten. This is the one part of the country you don't have any schools. Oh, you want to get a foothold in the state of Florida? Sure, come on in and take Florida State. Want to come on in and snag Clemson? Get up to twenty teams? Go ahead and have them. I don't. I don't believe that for a second, John. What What was your response to that? I'm sure you saw some of the reports, the sourced reporting that the SEC is not all that enamored in Florida State. Do you buy that, or, or are you with me? Oh no, that. <laughs> of course, it would be interested in Florida State. Uh, I've been covering this league for decades, and I, in the old way of thinking. The SEC schools, Florida, Georgia, um, South, well, and, and a later SEC a contingent, uh, South Carolina, uh, even Kentucky, none of those schools wanted their in-state rivals in the SEC. It was a superiority, superiority that South Carolina could hold over Clemson even though Clemson's become a much better football program, uh, that Georgia could hold over Georgia Tech. And Florida, even though Florida State has been really good and was a dynasty under Bobby Bowden, the one advantage that Florida Florida could cling to, well, we're in the SEC. You're an independent or whatever, and now you're in the ACC. But times have changed. That you can't think like that anymore. They should. Uh, Florida can't doesn't have that clout. Neither does neither does South Carolina, Georgia. I don't think Georgia cares what happens to Georgia Tech. That's not gonna. That's no. Georgia Tech is not gonna <laughs> prevent. Come on it. in the conference and, and yeah, lose a conference fine. game by forty yeah. points a year rather than a non-conference game. What's the difference? This, is, this counts in the standings now. Good for yeah. us. When I was a kid, I went to what would amount to a national championship game for LSU playing Clemson in the 1959 Sugar Bowl. LSU went, went unbeaten, won the national championship in 58. Clemson was its opponent in the Sugar Bowl. This wasn't – Clemson had lost two games. It wasn't in the running for the title. But even then, Clemson seemed like an SEC school. It wasn't. It was in the ACC, and that's a basketball league. But Clemson wasn't a basketball power. It was a better football school. 
the basketball school. And then under Dabo Sweeney, it's a, yeah, it's ascended to elite status and won a couple of national titles. So even more so now in Florida State. You don't think of Florida. Florida State's had good basketball teams, but nobody thinks of Florida State as a basketball school. It's a football school. And you go, their fan base is much different from most SEC fan bases. So these would be, those teams make so much sense. And it wasn't until the last couple of years when we started talking about expansion so much did I do anything about this grant and rights? I had no idea that these teams were, these programs are just shackled to the ACC. It's like, if we drown, you drown. We're going overboard together. Just think Florida State, relatively new member of the ACC. When you look at the overall history of the league, imagine people at Florida State thinking, why do we ever join this conference? <laughs> that's certainly the that's certainly the the takeaway you came out of that recent trustees meeting with. I mean, it was it was really an airing of grievances toward the ACC, and you know maybe it was just a bluff. Maybe it was just ah, they're trying to squeeze more distribution revenue out of the ACC. But I don't know. I, I'm starting to think this is beyond the stage of of bluffing because Florida State's been going on about this for a few months now, uh, and you combine it with this report that they're. They're looking to raise private equity. It's like, why, why do you think they're trying to do that? Uh, well, you need to pay over $100 million if you're, you're serious about getting out of this, this conference. So, you know, I wrote a column last week, John. You mentioned the idea of three 20-team super conferences, and, and I wrote about that recently. And so the Big Ten's at 18 now. The way I had it figured was I had the Big Ten getting to 20, at some point in the future by adding Virginia and Miami from the ACC. And I had the SEC scooping up Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, and then they would need a fourth. And I don't really know who that fourth would be. Some may, may say Virginia Tech. I went with Pittsburgh. A lot of fan. I heard from a lot of fans you know, in the South. They didn't like that idea of, of Pittsburgh. Um, but I... It, you know, I, I gave the Big Ten a couple wins. I, I would think Virginia would interest the Big Ten. I would think North Carolina would interest both of those conferences. Um, there, there would be a few schools that I think both conferences would be fighting for. If you're the SEC and you get Florida State, do you also need Miami? Hmm, maybe, maybe not. I think you're okay if if the Big Ten gets, gets Miami, if you get Florida State. Um, so that's sort of the way I had it divvied up. Um, what do you think about that, John? The, the, the possibility that you know the big the Big Ten could add two from the ACC to get to twenty, and then the SEC, if the ACC were to crumble here, could could add four to get to twenty, and that's how you get to two twenty team conferences, and then maybe the Big Twelve gets involved as well. The Big Ten is always, I think, looked down upon the SEC from an academic perch university presidents say, oh, that's just some SEC school. Uh, so, yeah, that would – and the SEC's really only uh, response was, well, what about Vanderbilt? Right. <laughs> so I just don't think the uh, SEC would fight the Big Ten for Virginia. I think it's really important with all this to understand who you are. This isn't going to be an academic competition. 
These are sports conferences. So regardless of what the universities stand for, they still, in academics or whatever their status is academically, when they're on the field of play or on the court, it's about the sport. You, know, you can't win the game with ACT scores. Uh, I just, so I think, I think the SEC has been prudent in the way it's gone about this. It's added teams in adjacent states. It hasn't jumped time zones. Uh, maybe it doesn't matter much in the grand scheme of things, but I think it's somewhat mollified the feelings of, of Southerners who are thinking, when we hear it all the time about Missouri, in fact, I've said it. Missouri, what's it doing in the SEC? It's not a Southern school. But at least it's not that far removed sitting there right above since you added Arkansas. You've got uh, Arkansas, then Missouri. So you've added Texas next door to Arkansas, Louisiana. So I, I think it's been it, it's been a nice balancing act for the SEC. And getting back to one of your original points, I just don't stay, think this stuff matters. And what if the S? So the, let's just say the Big Ten expanded, or even if it got Florida State and Clemson. And I don't think that will happen. But just say it did, and the SEC couldn't get those schools. Think how many schools would love to be in the SEC. I mean, we talked about it last week. Uh, if Houston wanted to join the SEC or Oklahoma State, or, or some, uh, something of that nature. So I think the SEC is fine. Uh, I, I just, this ACC situation, what it also does in my mind, Blake, it creates a, almost a sense of inferiority about that league. No, no question. Yeah, absolutely, John. When when you have one of your biggest brands, Florida State, and people like to make fun of Florida State, they like to sort of put them in that Texas category of a, a school that gets a lot of hype, a lot of attention, and it's like, what have you done for me lately? But I do think that's sort of downplaying Florida State a little bit. They went through a a bad five year stretch after Jimbo Fisher left them high and dry, but they're coming off a ten win season. They're preseason top ten, and if you have a little bit more scope to this. They've had double-digit wins in six of the last 11 seasons. Even even with that miserable five-year stretch in the midst of that, it's not like you got to go back 30 years to find a time when Florida State was relevant. This is still a big brand in college football. And, and you mentioned the possibility of, oh, how would the SEC counter if the Big Ten got Florida State and Clemson? And, and you're right, the, the SEC will never be at a shortage of of interested suitors. However, I don't want to downplay what it would mean if the, the Big Ten were able to get Florida State and Clemson too. Like I think those would be, if you look outside the two super conferences right now, the Big Ten and the SEC, those are probably the, the two biggest brands left, football brands that you could get. And so I, there's, there's no reason for the SEC to be in panic mode or, or to feel overly concerned, I don't think, by the Big Ten getting Oregon-Washington. Again, those are good ads for the Big Ten. I don't think it changes the conference pecking order. But you don't want the Big Ten to get Florida State and Clemson either. And, and you know, you mentioned the SEC expands oftentimes by adhering to its identity and by looking to border 
states. Now, Missouri, I don't know if that one adheres to the SEC's identity, but other expansions have. And so when you look at that, Clemson and Florida State, they really fit the SEC culture already. North Carolina would be that border state expansion. To me, if the SEC, or excuse me, if the ACC is going to fracture, those three teams have to be the starting point for the SEC. And if if the ACC holds, that's fine. You don't need to expand. You don't need to, if if the Big Ten's sitting there at 18, fine. This, this, is, this is not a numbers game where you have to have as many teams in your conference as them. You just don't want them invading the South and snagging the two best football brands in the ACC, which would be Florida State and Clemson. Florida State and Clemson, they would want to be in the SEC over the Big Ten. I would think so, right? Unless you just you don't want to be in Georgia's shadow or something. I, I don't know. No. You could twist. You really got to twist yourself into a pretzel to try to come up with an argument for why Clemson would want to be in the Big Ten over the SEC. It is. It's just really counterintuitive, isn't it? Yeah, and what is? I mean, Clemson has no reason to feel a sense of inferiority. Neither does Florida State. I mean. You go back to the 1990s when Steve Spurrier's Gators dominated the SEC. He won one national title uh, because it, a lot of times because he couldn't get by Florida State. It wasn't the SEC that prevented him from advent, going even higher than what he did. Nebraska obviously got in the way once, but it was Florida State. He had to play Florida State every year. That's a top five team. Uh, Florida State was a dynasty. It was a Alabama-like dynasty. Didn't win as many national titles, but Final Fours, it was in the top four like 15 years in a row or top five. Uh, so it has no reason to feel a sense of inferiority toward the SEC. And Clemson went head-to-head with Alabama and won with the championship on the line. Same, same thing with Clemson. To me, those schools and those fan bases, they want to be in the SEC. Clemson Clemson comes in the SEC, and it's already superior to its in-state rival in the conference. I, I mean, you know South Carolina still doesn't want Clemson in the SEC, but it can't do anything about it now. It has the stakes are so much higher. And I know Florida don't want Florida State in the SEC. But it can't let it doesn't have the leverage to prevent that anymore. Yeah, and Texas A and M didn't want Texas in the in the SEC, and guess who's going to be here, right? So I think as we transition here, John, we want to get into the the coaches' top twenty five. I think sort of in closing here, we're both saying the SEC still in fine shape, even after these Big Ten additions. But be at the ready, because if the ACC, if these fissures turn to fractures. You better be ready to pounce and and scoop up some of the best brands available and not let them slip out the back door to the Big Ten. All right, let's get into the USA Today Coaches Poll Top 25 released this week. I'm going to read off 1 through 12, John, and just get sort of your gut reaction of anything grossly wrong here in the top 12 of these rankings. So starting at the top down, Georgia, Michigan, 
Alabama number three. Ohio State, LSU rounds out the top five. Then it goes to number six, Southern Cal. Number seven, Penn State. Followed by Florida State at eight. Clemson at nine. Tennessee at 10. And rounding out these top 12 is Washington at number 11 and Texas at number 12. Your gut reaction to that top dozen in the coaches poll. Uh, no arguments, Georgia. Nobody could put anybody above Georgia right now. I don't think Georgia win the national title, but preseason, it would be a top, my top 25. And the odds against a program doing it, it hadn't happened about 90 years, so I don't see it happening now. Still, that's clearly the best program. Got the best coach going, plenty of talent. So that's obvious. Michigan, to me, is, is a, a little too high. I wouldn't have Michigan that high. Uh, Ohio State, I don't know who its quarterback is. I don't know who Alabama's quarterback is. I wouldn't have Alabama uh, that high either. I would have LSU ahead of Alabama. In fact, I might put LSU number two behind Georgia. Wow. LSU number two. Yeah, I think it's that good. Uh, you look at uh, uh, the star power on that team. Uh, a Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback, Harold Perkins, a linebacker, might be the best defensive player in the country. John, do I need to remind you, LSU lost by two touchdowns to Texas A&M in November? Just shows you how tough the SEC is. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> no, I, I also will, I will remind you that uh, Michigan lost to TCU. I think I've got that right in the semifinals. And, <laughs> and how did things work out for the Horn? Yeah, fair fall? point. I, I would have I would have Ohio State too. So we're we're sort of in a we're in agreement yeah, I would that we have would Ohio State. have Michigan too. If I had LSU two, I would have Ohio State three. Okay. Yeah, and, and then uh, further down, uh, UCF USC. I don't know if it can beat Utah, though. Uh, it, it doesn't match up well with Utah. We saw that last year. Penn State, to me, is too high. Um, Florida State, fine with that. Clemson. Uh, Tennessee, I could see Tennessee maybe being a couple of spots higher. Washington, I don't know about that. Texas, uh, <laughs> please uh, do it on the field for us. Okay. <laughs> I mean, please. Uh, for and it's interesting to see Tennessee at 10, Clemson at 9, and these teams just played in the Orange Bowl, and Tennessee won going away, and Joe Milton is back. He was a starting quarterback in that game. I know there's roster turnover, sure, year over year and the whole bit, but it's not like not like Tennessee won on a last-second field goal. They won 31-14 and in the Orange Bowl with Joe Milton at the controls. So that that is... A bit curious to me to see Clemson ranked ahead of Tennessee just based on the final uh, the final glimpse of those programs. This tells me that you know, voters are, are buying into Penn State. I've bought into Penn State more than you have in the past. Um, I, don't, I don't know about number seven. That might be buying into them maybe even a little bit more than, than I do, but they did win 11 games last year. I think a, a couple other things that this tells me, John, some really, really big September matchups. Week one, LSU, Florida State in Orlando on a Sunday night. 
it's going to get the, the Sunday slot to itself because the NFL is not in action at that point. Number five, LSU, against number eight, Florida State. What a, what a big game on opening weekend. Overall, I think opening weekend lacks a little sizzle, but that one certainly is not lacking for anything. You think about that week two game, Alabama, number three, hosting preseason number 12, Texas. Texas sometimes, yeah, I know they're overhyped, but they looked a lot better last year than in year one under Steve Sarkeesian. I know it's easy after a season where you lost a lot of close games like Texas did to say, oh, they're not that far away. And then they come back the next year and they're, they're not any better. But it, it really did feel like that's a program that's getting better. They went eight and five last year. Got their quarterback back healthy, Quinn Ewers, who if Quinn Ewers would have played that full game last year against Alabama and didn't get hurt, I think Texas wins that game. So that's another big one that jumps out to me early in the season. And then I also think, John, this one's flying below the radar a little bit for a week one game. And it's not as big as these other two. But North Carolina and preseason Heisman hopeful Drake May, the Tar Heels are ranked preseason number 20. They will play a week one neutral site game in Charlotte against South Carolina. And if you look down at the receiving votes, the also receiving votes, South Carolina is the equivalent of number 27. So that's kind of a sneaky good game there in week one when you have Drake May versus Spencer Rattler and two teams that are in the equivalent of the the top 30. A win in that game, I'm not saying that we're talking about top 10 potential, but you win that game, I think you're you're a little bit on the radar coming out of that one, particularly with the quarterback names in that one of of Drake May and Spencer Rattler. I love that quarterback matchup. Uh, LSU-Florida State, another great quarterback matchup. Uh, but yeah, I think that will be a very entertaining game. That could be a 42 to 41 game. Uh, you're talking L- LSU, Florida state. No, I'm t- well, I guess it could be 42, 41 too, but I, I'm thinking about, I, I got off target there. UNC I talked about the quarterbacks, but UNC South Carolina, uh, really, I really like that's a game I want to watch. Uh, and if I'm working during it, I'll just have to record it. But, uh, that game means a lot. That is a huge game to me for South Carolina because South Carolina finished last season strong. It beat Tennessee. It beat Clemson. And it went out of the wire with Notre Dame and got beat because the defense couldn't tackle anybody. But you come, you build, you come back from that and you beat North Carolina nationally right team. You go. So that means you're three and one in your last four games all against nationally ranked teams. South Carolina needs that kind of game, I think, just to elevate its presence, if nothing else. And then it plays Tennessee at the end of the month. So that, to me, is a really significant game. Uh, I, mean, I don't see North Carolina beating out uh, Florida State or, or uh, Clemson in the ACC, but Mac Brown's done. He's He's revived that program somewhat. It's a better program now than when he took over considerably. So, yeah, that's a game I'm looking forward to. I mentioned four SEC teams in the top 10, Georgia 1, Alabama 3, LSU 5, Tennessee 10. There's six SEC teams in the top 25 overall, Ole Miss at number 22, Texas A&M rounding things out at number 25. 
I'm struck by a couple of thoughts as I look at these rankings, John, as it pertains to Ole Miss and South Carolina in particular. Ole Miss 22, South Carolina, as I said, is the equivalent of being number 27. I think both of those teams could be better than they were last year. Ole Miss in particular made a number of quality additions out of the transfer portal. However, when you look at their schedule, even though I think both teams, the quality of their roster is better, when you look at the schedule, a number of top 25 teams they'll have to play this year, I don't know that either team, I, I believe strongly that either team will be better in terms of record. Both Ole Miss and South Carolina went 8-5 and five last year. You look at Ole Miss's schedule, John, they'll have to play Alabama and LSU, of course. Those are two preseason top five teams. I've played Texas A&M, preseason top 25. One of their crossovers this year, Georgia. So they get Georgia, Alabama, and LSU. And they have a non-conference game against Tulane, which returned its starting quarterback off the team that beat Southern Cal in the Cotton Bowl last year. Tulane's ranked preseason number 23. So that's what Ole Miss is facing. South Carolina, just outside the top 25. I think they could be an exciting team. And yet, their schedule includes top 25 teams, Georgia, Tennessee, Clemson, North Carolina, Texas A&M. So the, those two programs to me, John, and, and maybe that's why I think if I'm looking at a team out of the West and a team out of the East that maybe has the biggest gap between ceiling of their performance and the floor, those are probably the two teams I look at, partially because of the schedule they have to face. You know, five teams on their schedule in the preseason top 25. It's a pretty tough draw for, for Ole Miss to, to get Georgia in the crossover and then for South Carolina to have two non-conference games in Clemson and North Carolina preseason top 20 teams. It's funny how that works out that the, that way sometimes. We see it with other SEC teams. They're really a better – they've got a better, deeper roster coming back. And then you look at the schedule, and it's like, oh, well, I don't know. I thought let them play last season's schedule and see how they do. Again, though, getting back to South Carolina, it goes through Tennessee, Clemson, and almost beat Notre Dame in succession. So as far as Ole Miss goes, I wouldn't be surprised if Ole Miss added two transfers the day before the opening kickoff. <laughs> it's so it true. I mean, the, yeah. I think they got a, a, maybe a, another running back or uh Yeah, they did from Oregon, Oregon State's backup running yeah. back. People forget even when the portal closed, if you're a graduate transfer, yeah. you can still transfer. That portal is closed to undergraduates. So Ole Miss is still out here adding grad transfers. You're so right. They An hour before season opener. They might get a new guy walk into their locker room. Uh, and see, I look at these, I look at Texas A&M in the same light as I'd kind of do Ole Miss in South Carolina. It might have better depth overall. But last season, it was so bad. Uh, I kind of see A&M as an SEC team that could surprise, that could m- surpass its preseason ranking. I think it has that potential if its quarterback can can continue to make progress. If Connor Wegman can, can Connor Wegman can continue to do that, it's got a lot it's dependent on a fre- maybe dependent on a freshman running back. 
but it's offensive line, it's defensive front, secondary, receiving core. They're all really solid. So that's a team I look at as one that could, that might even have top 10 potential. But I know it's Texas A&M, and it has a history of not, not advancing as far as I think or a lot of people think. And if you want to have, have get a little misty-eyed, John, as you know, we were talking about the Pac-12 earlier, you want to tear up about the final year of the Pac-12 as we know it. Four Pac-12 teams, how about this? Four Pac-12 teams ranked in the preseason top 15 between USC, Washington, Utah, and Oregon. Could be a fun year in the Pac-12. All four of those teams I mentioned return their starting quarterbacks. Those are four good quarterbacks, too, including reigning Heisman winner. Caleb Williams at Southern Cal and former Auburn quarterback Bo Nix, who's at Oregon. So could be a fun year for the Pac-12. You throw in Oregon State, that's another team from the Pac-12 in the preseason top 25. It's just sort of too little, too late. That was the same could be true of, of the Pac-12's TV deal. Uh, that they you know, It was a non, uh, non-mover, I guess, for Oregon and Washington. It wasn't enough to sweeten the pot, the TV deal with Apple+. Plus. I don't really blame them. You know, there was a lot of talk last week about kind of the greed in in college athletics and how the business is ruining the sport. I understand that criticism, but if your offer is to stay in the Pac-12 and get that paltry payout from an Apple Plus TV deal that's going to have your games on streaming and not on linear television, or you get a lifeline into the Big Ten, I'm sorry, it would be business malpractice to stay there with a streaming deal with Apple and 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 not go to the Big Ten. I I understand the disappointed feelings. I do feel for those four fan bases that are left behind, particularly Washington State and Oregon State, which have, you know, smaller than an SEC fan base, but still passionate. So I feel for those programs. But from a business sense, Washington and Oregon, they had to do this. They just did. Oh, you can't blame them. I mean, if they hadn't, it would, it would be akin to someone uh, – flailing his arms in frigid water and you drive by in a, in a boat and throw a life preserver and say, no, I'm just going to tread water. <laughs> I can tread water a really long time. Uh, but you, I tell you, I, Oregon State, I, I watched Oregon State in three or four games last year and watched it totally dismantle Florida in a bowl game. Oregon State's doing a nice job. It's getting its programs getting better and you talk about getting misty-eyed. I did think about I did think about Oregon State because it's been very competitive against some really good teams. Some of the back Pac-12's best teams had trouble with Oregon State in Corvallis through the years. All right, well that'll do it for this one. I believe the AP preseason poll will be out next week, so maybe we'll get back at this and and evaluate the rankings of of yet another poll as we march on in the preseason. Thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered, and we'll be back with you next week.